order is another one of these. I'm just going to touch on a few of these. Since I brought them up, I might just touch on them quickly. What do you think order is? Order isn't just doing things the right way. It's having things in the right place. Often when we think about order, we're just thinking there's a certain way to do things. You also have to have everything in the right place. What order will bring is authority. Authority is another one of those things in the day we're living and people don't want. They do not want authority. They do not want somebody telling them what to do. When I'm talking about authority, I'm talking about authority that comes directly from God, not authority that's man-made. I wouldn't want any man-made authority telling me what to do. You want some man-made authority directing you? I'm talking about your spiritual decisions. I'm not talking about if it's your boss at work. I'm not suggesting you become a revolutionary in your job and say, no man's going to tell me what to do. Brother Bear straight out gave me the go-ahead to tell these people to shove it. No, I did not give you the go-ahead. What I'm telling you is there are places where we come under authority. But when it comes to your spiritual life, saints, I'll tell you what, there will always be authority. You don't make the bride status, they are going to be over you in authority. And in this present day, the ministry has a higher level of authority. In the day to come, it won't be what we call the ministry in the present sense. It will be the bride class. And then the offices of these different ministerial capacities are working under them, whether the Jewish ministry or others. But the bride will be at the highest level of authority alongside her bridegroom. But the authority that comes of God is authority that is ordained of God. That means men that are called of God. You want to know what order consists of in the church, what we're striving for? Men that are truly called of God and operating truly in their callings. There are men that have been called of God, but they're not operating in their callings. I've seen men called of God that are doing the wrong job because they want the attention a certain job will give them. And that's not even the job God called them to do. And if they would just do the job God gave them, they could have all kinds of results in the spiritual realm. But they won't because they want somebody else's job. These offices are intended to complement one another. They're not intended to compete with each other. That's another problem in the present church world. Offices are competing. People are wanting to one-up somebody or look better or preach the bigger message or preach longer or shorter if it's with more power in it or whatever they might be wanting to do to draw attention to themselves. Do you know what a restored church will look like? There will be called men of God working entirely in their callings. And they'll be working in their callings in a complementary way. That's with an E, not an I in that word, by the way. There's two ways you can spell compliment. A compliment where you're saying something nice to somebody and a compliment where two things go together nicely. Every joint supplieth. That's part of what has to happen is that every joint has to supply. That's done to the edifying of the whole body. We want to talk about building the church and restoring the church. When every joint is in the right place, you get your leg out of joint, you're not going to be able to walk right. When every joint gets in the right place and the blood and the muscle and the sinew are all connected correctly and that body is able to move at full capacity, Every joint will not only supply to the other joints, they'll complement, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, one another. They'll work in harmony together. I am praying, and you pray for me, that whatever God decides to use or not use of any gift He may give or not give me, that I keep my spirit such that I am always a complement rather than a contrast to the rest of the body of Jesus Christ, that I am always a complement rather than competitive with any other brother in this body. Whatever gifts I have, I want to use to build my brother up. I want to use to build up the body of Jesus Christ. 
I hope God will give me gifts that can build up this assembly. But it goes to every element I've been talking about. This assembly can never grow past the point that we're willing to build the body of Jesus Christ. If we're not trying to build the body, God isn't going to be able to do much with this assembly. So we've got to be complementary one to another. Being complementary is being able to stand beside somebody and when your gift is working, they're standing right beside you and they're backing you up and they're behind you. And when their gift is working, you are able to step back out of the limelight for a little bit. It doesn't bother your spirit to get out of the light. It doesn't bother your spirit to push somebody else up. It's the last one of these things, the Spirit of Christ. You can have all the truth in the world. You could have a perfect order operating. You could have all the power in the world. You could even have purity. But if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, it is worthless. That's what I was talking about two weeks ago when I said all these things. Knowledge, what does that matter without charity? That is the Pharisaical spirit that was so unfortunate that Jesus rebuked. It isn't somebody trying to do works that's Pharisaical. It's trying to do works in one of two ways, either without God or for the sake of attention. What Jesus rebuked the Pharisees about having a Pharisaical, a holier-than-thou type of an attitude was the fact that they were living according to the dictates of what they should have externally. It wasn't wrong that they were living righteously and dressing a certain way and presenting themselves a certain way. That wasn't what he was rebuking. He was rebuking the fact that while they were maintaining that level of external purity, inside of them were dead men's bones. They had purity, but they didn't have the Spirit of Christ. You know, you can present yourself just as good as you want to present yourself. You can be perfect in the externals, but if your spirit within is corrupted, you are still a mess. One of the most important things we will ever get restored to this body of people in its fullness. I'm not saying it doesn't have this. We do have it. I mean in its fullness. This body has the Spirit of Christ. When the constituents of these churches are presenting the Spirit of Christ... God can give all the other things to people with the Spirit of Christ. You want truth? Develop the Spirit of Christ. Use all the truth you have. You want power? Be like Jesus. He gave Him the Spirit without measure. There's people that believe somebody should be in charge. They do agree somebody should be in charge, but they are only going to be able to put up with it if they're the person who's in charge. I'm talking about order still. There are people that are happy to have somebody in charge, only if it's them or they're part of it. And we have to be careful on either extreme because when somebody is not in charge, it's easy to criticize those that are in charge because they have the authority and I don't get any voice. The other extreme, though, is what we usually don't think about. It's easy for someone that's in charge to say, we need people to be in charge. (laughs) Well, of course, you're in charge. But you better get your spirit right on both sides of that equation because there's people that aren't part of the government and maybe don't belong in the government and they'll have the worst attitude because they're not part of the government. And unfortunately, the other is true too. You can be part of the government and wanting to build a strong government for the sake of you being part of it. What if somebody told you, you're right, we need to have people in charge. You're not going to be one of them though. Would you still fight hard for people to be in charge? Listen. There needs to be a leadership of the body of Jesus Christ. Anybody that intends to be part of that leadership better have the spirit that they will fight for that leadership even if they're not part of it. We need leadership, but we better develop our spirit on both ends of that spectrum. If you're not part of the leadership, you better realize I'm still going to stand behind the leadership. If you are part of that leadership, you better realize if I find out that I'm not supposed to be part of this leadership or if you get replaced by somebody. 
That's another thing that will cause somebody to push against the order. Somebody else is rising, and they look like they're going to have prominence, and they're eclipsing my light. You get that spirit, you're going to find yourself in deep trouble. You get a spirit, and I'm talking about locally or at the body level. You, brethren, have never expressed this in this assembly, and I appreciate it, brethren. You all have never expressed a spirit of competition. I'm talking about any of you on this platform. You've never expressed a competitive spirit among each other. You better not do it. Thank God we don't have that. Let's not be competitive. Let's compliment one another. Get behind each other. What could not be done by the ministry if they were all behind each other? It's hard to get behind somebody when you're not sure what they're doing is right or what they're saying is right. That's why these other issues have to be corrected. And then there's people that do believe in the Bible. I might add that to the list. There's people that believe in the Bible. They just don't believe in the authority of the Bible. You know, there is a scripture that goes along with that. I don't think most people realize this is what it's talking about. It's when it says that they, talking about these people that have these issues, says they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They deny the authority. I'll go along with certain things in the Bible, but I'm not going to let the Bible have complete authority. You don't think there's a lot of people in our world like that right now? They're more than willing to go along with the parts of the Bible that don't poke them. But as soon as a part of the Bible pokes them, well, that's not for our day. Or that meant something different than what it says. We've got a whole generation right now entering into all kinds of debauchery with that mindset. They still want to call themselves Christian. They still want to say, I'm a Bible believer. But they only believe part of the Bible because the Bible's pretty straight about a lot of things they don't want to accept. They have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. Now, there's several ways. Again, you could interpret that, but I'm going to interpret it this way for the sake of this point. They won't let the authority of God rest over their life. They just want to have certain things. They're denying the authority of the Scripture over their life. You don't get to define what the Scripture means and what it doesn't. There's troublous times that we're in, and we need some of these elements. We need purity as well. That is one of the things that the restored church is intended to produce. We're in a day right now of compromised morals. We're in a day of lowered standards. What I sometimes refer to as bell curve believers. You know what happens when you have a bell curve? Anybody know what a bell curve is? It's not the curve in the shape of a bell, by the way. A bell curve when you're grading is intended to allow more people to pass a class than actually know the subject. An example of that would be that you need to know 80% of the material to pass the class or 70% of the material. But the problem is there's only a handful of them that can even pass the class. So we better bend the standards of the class so that we can get enough people to pass. They just won't discipline themselves to study it. So now every student in the class is getting what would be an F. There's only a couple of them getting other grades besides F. So what we've got to do is bend this around. So now, when it used to be anything below 70% was an F, we'll say anything below 40. If you get at least 40% right, you'll pass the class. Do you know the danger of something like that? You are lowering the standards of operation. Because what you're producing are people that are not going to be capable of getting the job done. We ought not to try to be bell curve believers. God will make a way for me. He'll make room for me, even if I'm not going to be transformed or changed. God intends to have a pure product, saints. And I personally believe to produce the level of purity God's expecting, which is the production of overcomers, we need more power to produce that level of purity. It goes hand in hand. I think we need overcoming power. We need overcoming grace. We need grace to be added to grace. You know there's grace unto grace. There's grace that is added to grace. 
If just one measure of grace was enough to do the job, you wouldn't need grace upon grace or grace added to grace. We need more grace than we've already even been given. We are standing on higher ground right now, saints. That's because of the grace and mercy of God. I want to reach even higher ground. I want us to get to the highest ground. In order for that, we're going to have to have grace to be added to grace. We're going to have to have strength that gets added to strength. We're going to have to have faith that gets added to faith. Those are all in the Bible, you know. We're going to have to have things added to our faith. We're going to have to have strength added to our strength. We're going to have to have grace added to our grace until we come up to a place where we are expressing the fullness of Christ before this fallen world. Praise His holy name. There will be power that will be able to accomplish that. It will go along with a people that have the Spirit of Christ. We are presently, saints, in a day of empty imitation. Jude referred to it and Peter had a similar language. Clouds without water. What does that mean? That means they look like there's a lot there, but there's no real water coming down. And some people have gotten so used to what is a false emotional spirit in a church that they think is the Holy Ghost moving that they have no idea that there's no water falling out of that cloud. And you don't even realize that's not even the spirit you're feeling. That's your emotions excited because of that cloud up there. It looks like it must be pouring out water. But there's no real water coming down. You want to know if water is really coming down? If you've had a dry, parched ground and somebody's planted a seed, you know the purpose of God is to produce fruit. The purpose of God is to produce growth. If the water is coming down, growth will come up. That doesn't mean excitement will just come up because a lot of times in charismatic Christianity in a nominal sense, there's a lot of excitement, but is that excitement producing anything? That's why I said, saints, you ought to pay attention. If the messenger is getting a lot of attention, there's thousands of people flocking around that messenger. They're doing all kinds of what looks like miracles and signs and wonders, true or untrue. They're doing all kinds of things. But there's no message. The purpose of a messenger is to deliver a message. What is a messenger without a message? And here are many men working right now in our present day with big assemblies and big television ministries that don't have any kind of message whatsoever. The people aren't drawn to the message. They're drawn to the theatrics, saints. Or they're drawn to the charisma of the messenger. And even if God gave them charisma, the charisma is to draw attention to the message. If God gives a man a voice that is powerful and a ministry that is powerful and characteristics that can drive home thoughts and ideas in your mind, it's to deliver a message that will stick, a message that has weight. Wisdom and knowledge, Isaiah 33, 6, is the stability of thy times. They're not just the stability of thy times. They're the strength of salvation. The strength of salvation, saints. Do you want a weak salvation or a strong salvation? That song, real salvation, the kind that saves the soul. Real salvation, the kind that makes you whole. There's a real salvation, saints, but it is a strong salvation. It's not weak. It's not a wimpy thing. It's a powerful thing. Not powerful to provide all of your desires. Powerful to provide all of the necessary requirements to raise you up to the level of Jesus Christ. The strength of salvation is produced through wisdom and knowledge. And then when we've got that strength of wisdom and knowledge, God will be able to add power. There's no point in adding power to a people that don't know what to do with it. 
There's no point in adding power to a people that will waste it. God's going to give power to transform people, to change them from one state to another state. That's the strength of salvation. God opens your heart and mind to the truth. And then once that truth starts to work in you, God adds power to bring you up another level. We need power for transformational change, not just for carnal comfort. God wants to transform us. It's what these songs we're talking about. God wants to change us. It takes a transformation. That transformation starts in here. And metaphorically speaking, in here, your head and your heart. And then eventually that transformation in the spiritual realm will be a physiological transformation. Your body will be changed in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye. When? At the last trump. That doesn't occur until the last trump. Your body is changed and it goes from corruptible to incorruptible. Look, if there was any time that you had an incorruptible body before that, that verse would be a contradiction. The body is changed from a corruptible body to an incorruptible. It's changed from a dying body to a living body. And it's changed at the last trump. Praise the Holy When the Lord Himself descends from heaven with a shout, with the trump of God, praise His holy name. The voice of the archangel is going to sound. That voice is going to sound so powerfully and at such a high spiritual pitch. Nobody but the redeemed will hear it. There's going to come a sound that will ripple out over creation, saints, and only the redeemed are going to hear His voice in that day when He comes in clouds of glory to catch His bride away. The graves will then be opened and the dead in Christ will rise. Praise His holy name. And we which are alive in Jesus are going to be caught up. I'm going to use the Scripture now. To meet Him in the skies, praise His holy name. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a glorious hope we have out in front of us. Keep bringing that back up to you because we're surrounded by darkness. I want to keep reminding you that there's light. I also want to get in touch with the Spirit of God to the extent that this great veil that's cast over all the people, this great darkness that's over this planet right now, spiritually speaking, Something occurs in this assembly that breaks through that veil and light from third heaven, praise His holy name, burns down into this assembly and you can feel it and you can hear it and you can sense it and you say, we were just walking in heavenly places, praise His holy name. Something just happened, praise God. He rent the veil, He tore an opening in the veil and He came down through His Spirit in our church today. Praise His holy name, saints. One of these days He's going to rend the veil and come down for us, not just to us. He's been opening it up once in a while and beams of light come down this assembly. But one of these days He's going to rend the veil. He's going to rend the heavens and come down as when the melting fire burneth. He's coming down in judgment on this world, but He's coming down to get somebody too. Before He ever judges the conditions of this world, He's coming down to get somebody. And power is going to be available to meet the needs of all the governments of this world. That's why that passage in Revelation 19 I quoted said, Upon his head were many crowns. He's going to rule over every one of the governments of this earth. And then that last statement, it says, Upon his vesture and upon his thigh is a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's not just a king and lord. He's the ruler over all kings and lords. My Lord. Now in our personal realm, there is a power we are seeking, saints. There is a power. There is nothing I would love more than to be able to go down to Riverside Hospital if that dear lady has not already passed and walk into that room and just say, in the name of Jesus, rise. And it very well may be that God will give us that power. 
He gave it to those old-time saints, didn't he? It may very well be that God will give us that power. I have no doubt. In fact, if the glory of the latter house is to be greater than the former, you can be certain he's going to give that power. But there's a greater power than raising the physical dead, saints. From our perspective, if we're not careful, we would think there would be no greater testimony than raising a physically dead person. But there's a greater testimony. When those that are dead in trespasses and sins are raised from that dead state to a state of life, it is a greater miracle than a physically dead body coming out of that grave. And do you realize the power is working in this assembly right now that can do that? We're longing for physical manifestations of God's power in a miraculous sense to raise the dead and heal the lame and the blind and all the other things. But saints, we've already got a higher level of spiritual power working than that physical power. And when we'll use it to its capacity and we come to that place, I'll tell you there'll be physical power that'll be a manifestation assigned to back that up as well. We're talking in Revelation 12 quite a bit lately and about that war in heaven going on. What it means that the devil was cast down. What it means in Hebrews 2 when it talks about Jesus, it says that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. What it means in 1 John 3.8 when it said it was for this purpose that the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the devil. Those two Greek words there, one of those is katergeo when it says that he might destroy him that had the power of death. That means to literally Take something so it is unusable. It's unable to be effective. Do you realize when an individual overcomes, they have just taken apart the devil's effectiveness in ever touching their life? That's how he's destroyed. He's destroyed in regard to them. And that secondary word, luo, which is the Greek word destroyed there in John 3.8, that he should destroy the works of the devil, that literally means to unwind something. Like somebody has made a garment out of thread and you are taking the threads apart and taking that thing apart. God is going to destroy the works of the devil. He starts by destroying them in our lives. And then once there is an overcoming element that has destroyed the works of the devil in their lives, he can use that element to destroy the works of the devil in this earth. To bind him and to bring this earth back into the place where it needs to be with God. Praise his holy name. Thank God that people that are wrapped in their burial clothes can be unwrapped. Thank God there's power in the blood of Jesus. Thank God there's power in the Word of God. We are not yet at the level of the early church, but we are moving toward it. There is power in the Spirit of God. I don't personally believe we're yet at the level of the early church, but we are moving toward it. We are operating under a measure of the power of the Word and of the Spirit. And when the Word and the Spirit are finally fully restored, there's where that truth and power comes in. There'll be purity produced. There'll be an order established. And there will be power as well, but that power's primary purpose will be to produce the Spirit of Christ in a human people on this earth. And I'll tell you, when there's a people on this earth with the Spirit of Christ, saints, there is nothing God will not do for those people. When God has a people that have fully developed the Spirit of His Son, you can believe God will move heaven and earth for that people. When Christ has a bride that's finally revealed herself, when that veil is lifted, pardon the modern colloquial expression, but when that veil is lifted and that image of that bride looks just like the bridegroom, I've always loved this in that same song, Only the Redeemed. One of my favorite parts, I've said it before, is when he says, the son sitting beside the father and the father reaches over and touches his son upon the shoulder. It's time, son. Go get your bride. Can you imagine what Jesus is going to feel like 
when the father reaches over metaphorically and says, go get your bride, she's ready now. The bride hath made herself ready. Praise his holy name. Thank you, Lord, for the calling that we've received. Thank you for letting us be a part. Wretched men and women that we are, that you would pay the price of your son's precious blood to let us have an opportunity that you would take your spirit, that very presence and power that effectively expresses your personality and being and invest a little bit of it in our lives enough to change and transform us from the old into the new. And then, God, that you'd keep working on us, working in us, and hopefully working through us until we come to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ and to a perfect man. Thank you, Lord.